Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Have you always felt a little odd, a little different? The world is crying out for witches to heal and to rebuild. But do you hear its call and will you answer? This is a space for free thinking, where I give you tools to explore and build your craft. We all have a divine spark. Join me each week and grow that spark into a fiery beacon. I am your host, Michael Moorcroft, and I'll be bringing you a one-on-one guide to all things witchcraft and spirituality. This is The Major's Well. Hey, Majors. Welcome back. For this episode, I'm going to be covering necromancy. It's a highly evocative word and has been maligned over the years. But before I dive in, for those based in London or around, I'm working again with Honey in the Hex, and together we're bringing you candlelit ghost stories from the crypt in the middle of Notting Hill, 27th of October, 7 till 9pm. Tickets are 12 to £15, and it includes entry, a creepy cocktail, and a cupcake by the infamous Cherry Lazar. If this is up your street, you can find the ticket on Eventbrite using the heading Ghost Stories from the Crypt, or if you follow me on Instagram or have access to it, you can find a link to the tickets in my bio. I'm a little bit excited, the tickets are selling quite fast, so yeah, see you there. Now... Necromancy isn't anything to do with summoning the devil or conjuring demons. If you remember from my divination episodes, anything to do with the word mancy in it relates to divination or trying to predict or learn about the future. Necros is the Greek word for dead, so the word literally translates to dead or death, divination. Necromancy as a word didn't really exist till the 3rd century CE, and a Christian theologian and philosopher called Origen Adamantius coined the term. 
The Greeks had their own word for the concept of divining the future through the dead, which was Nikaia. Now, necromancy can be classified or broken down into two types, that of Psyomancy, which is the raising of the spirit of the deceased, which can manifest visually through audio or by mediumistic terms. The second, Nesiomancy, is actually the reanimation of dead tissue, and controversially, the most famous practitioner of this would be Jesus. The greatest witches in myth and folklore practice necromancy, and the desire to contact the dead has existed for as long as humans have passed over to the other side. But why? Well, death is disturbing in multiple ways, it's the end of a tangible relationship with someone, it makes us consider our own mortality, and it also makes us question what happens after death. Necromancy can be a very pragmatic way to deal with these issues and the emotions that follow them. There are a multitude of necromatic spells and rituals that have been created throughout history, and necromancy walks the very thin line between life and death. Necromancy is based on the Greek concept that once someone died, they were free to learn anything that the living couldn't access. Essentially, they entered a hive mind, therefore questions about the future could be answered. How much these spirits actually know has been up to debate for a long period of time, and according to the Roman poet Ovid, the belief was that the dead met in an underworld marketplace where news and gossip were shared. It's thought that necromancy actually derived from shamanism, whereby shamans sought to contact their ancestors. Now traditionally, necromancers communicated with the dead via high-pitched squeaking and low drones, which is similar to some shamans within a trance-like state. Necromancy was quite common in Mesopotamia, Rome, and Greece. Within Greece, necromancy involved a ritual that had to be conducted before you went to the underworld and communed with the dead. Practitioners were called evocators, meaning caller of souls. We think that the Greeks were uneasy with the idea of necromancy, because often we see women performing it and people who aren't Greek. We see a lot of Egyptian, Babylonian and Persian references that's been interpreted that male Greek writers were actually trying to culturally distance themselves from the practices. However, that being said, Pythagoras, the father of maths, was rumoured to be heavily involved within necromancy. Imperial Rome wasn't keen on it because they worried it would cause disorder. However, on the flip side, we have a lot of emperors who dabbled within it. Throughout the ancient Middle East, we had necromatic practitioners called Sha'emetu, the Chaldeans, or the Manzuzu. Now, kings would regularly consult with these people to learn the future. Meanwhile, in Egypt, we think necromatic rituals were essentially taking place within the cult of Osiris, the god-king of the underworld. Anubis also became heavily associated with necromancy. There's also accounts of it throughout ancient China. The Celts had a type of grim divination that's kind of necromatic, whereby they would read the exposed entrails or organs of the dead or dying, 
Now this was known as anthropomancy. Interest in necromancy peaked in the Middle Ages, and it was thought to be genuinely useful in terms of discovering lost items and also identifying criminals. Now, surprise, surprise, the church wasn't impressed, to say the least, and it absolutely cracked down on it. Therefore, the practice went underground, and it had a rebranding where it once again emerged within the spiritualist movement in regards to seances and Ouija boards. But as with most things in alternative spirituality, the old school form of necromancy is seeing somewhat of a revival today. Now, some religions also have elements incorporated into it. Quimbanda, a Afro-Brazilian tradition, is one that particularly has necromatic elements in it, as well as Palome Ombe, which is quite controversial as practitioners have actually been caught in the past robbing graves. There are actually a lot of Christian sources about necromancy, However, the church wasn't keen about people speaking to the dead, so they actually debased it by saying that humans couldn't possibly have the power to bring spirits back into the body. Practitioners, they claimed, were unknowingly summoning demons, and these demons were tricking the necromancers into thinking they performed a successful necromatic ritual. That being said, however, the church did allow some officials to perform necromancy and educated them in its ways. This was done to recognize its abuses and also to stop heresy. And by the late Middle Ages and into the Renaissance, the names of angels and saints were included within necromatic rituals, effectively masquerading them as a Christian affair. There were even necromatic lectures and lessons given in the catacombs and caves throughout medieval Spain. According to Herbert Stanley Redgrove, a chemist that was also involved in alchemy in the late 1800s, he believed that magic in the medieval period fell into one of three categories, that of white magic, black magic, the summoning of demons, and then there was necromancy, which involved evoking the spirits of the dead. Now, there's some who include within the definition of necromancy this idea of reanimation of the dead. That is bringing them back to life. This was big in the Middle Ages, and we have a lot of accounts of it. Obviously, this is going to be slightly harder to achieve today, with access to a dead body being limited, and also whether or not you believe dead bodies can become reanimated, but I found some interesting stuff regarding this that I'd like to talk about. Now the necromancer had to do this sort of reanimation within a year of the person dying. Anything attempted after this time frame would only bring the person's soul back, not their entire being. Now in relation to reanimation, a lot of necromatic rituals were very similar to Christian exorcisms and traditionally entering into the right headspace was vital. They would wear a dead person's clothes, they would eat food that represented death and decay, think of black bread and pomegranates. Some even went further and didn't eat any meat other than dogs. This is a link to Hecate who is kind of seen as the mother of necromancy. They couldn't have sex, as sex is the opposite of death energetically. They also recited funeral rites over themselves, 
And this was all done. The idea behind this was to create a sympathetic link between the necromancer and the soul they intended to invoke. The rituals were precise and meticulously performed. The location was vital as well. Burial grounds, the deceased's home, the ruins of sacred or religious buildings. Interestingly, the Colosseum in Rome has supposedly been used for necromatic rituals within history. Midnight, a brilliant time for it, as well as Libra and Pisces season, these were seen as quite favourable times, including Fridays and the ninth hour of Saturdays. Stormy weather, perfect, as it was believed that spirits were more likely to appear within these volatile situations. So practitioners would also burn a combination of henbane, hemlock, saffron, aloes, wood, mandrake, and opium. Very dangerous, this combination, so maybe let's not do that. Also, they would do this as casting a circle around the grave and opening the coffin. The body would be laid out with its head pointing east and its limbs in the crucified position. A blend of wine, mastic, and sweet oil would be placed in a small dish and placed on the right-hand side of the body. Then the incantations would be read, and what was actually read varied depending on the country. Often they would take a phrase like the person's name and combine it with has returned. They would then take out all the repeating letters and rearrange them to how they see fit. So John Smith has returned may turn out like Dara to N Jomis. They would then chant this over and over and emphasize certain parts of the word. So my earlier phrase might sound something like Dara Tiom Jomis. Once the spirit had entered the body, the corpse was commanded to obey the necromancer. In return, the spirit would gain peace and never be bothered again by the body being either burned or buried in quicklime where it would dissolve. In some cases, the undead would do the necromancer's bidding. In one ritual, a necromancer would stick 13 needles into a doll and visit a graveyard at sunset and place the doll on the grave of someone who had died a violent and sudden death. These types of victims were preferable because it was believed they still carried potent life force and could carry out tasks successfully. In this particular ritual, there's the account that the necromancer then commanded the undead to go to a love interest and then bind and essentially starve her into submission. Wow, let's not. Deities relating to the dead may be invoked within the process as well, such as Persephone. Aresh Kakal, a queen of the underworld in ancient Sumeria. Patrons might remember her from my Ishtar episode. Adonis, Hecate, Hermes, Thoth, and Anubis. They would also summon the spirit of anyone who had suffered an early death as well. Although the Romans frowned upon necromancy, we do have some accounts of it being practiced. In one, the corpse is fed blood and stood upright. Herbs were then placed on the chest and head to encourage breathing. On top of being fed blood, the necromancer could also anoint the body with blood. Incantations to command the corpse would be said, and if the corpse didn't animate, the necromancer would threaten horrific torture methods in the underworld. 
As you may know, I set up my shop towards the end of last year with the goal of helping people deepen their practice and to connect to the divine. My products are carefully formulated with quality ingredients that are thoughtfully sourced, then packaged and wrapped with materials that have a low impact on the environment. For my oils, I will think of a brief or an aim that I want to achieve with this particular product. I specify some of the ingredients that I want to be in it, for example, with the Money Money Oil, I knew that basil had to be in there for me. It's got huge connotations with money and also with the Freedom Oil, I wanted people to feel like they were in a forest, so fir and cedar had to be in there. I then hand this brief or this idea over to Madhavi Patel who has been working in aromatherapy for over a decade. She then intuitively picks the other ingredients and blends them into a formula that fits in with my idea or concept. I send out samples to a small group and see how they get on with it. Then if it's all good, the product goes on my site. It's a small, intuitive process that works with small batches to deliver witchy oils that not only smell good, but work. In the shop today, we have Money Money Oil, Trance Oil, and Freedom Oil, as well as Erotica, my latest blend that's designed to be diffused throughout sex magic and love magic workings, and to generally create a space that is safe and fun for intimacy. I also have a rosemary cleansing bundle designed to be burned as an alternative to white sage that has been handmade by me with recycled string sourced from a mature rosemary brush from my friend's house in East London. It's wrapped under a dark moon for added potency. You can see all these products over on themajorswell.com. But how would you just communicate with the spirits without the zombie vibes? Well, first things first, I think in order to learn about necromancy, you have to actually be comfortable with the idea of death, which many cultures are not, especially the West. Read about it, think about it, many of us have fears around death. See if you can start breaking down these fears and beliefs you have around it. Maybe you could also try visiting cemeteries and attending funerals. You also want your cleansing and protection game strong, so check out my episode on protection around this idea, and fasting is also recommended. Tormental, belonging to the Rose family, grants protection from the underworld and ensures a return from it. Make a tea before any necromantic rituals, just check you have no allergies. Also, you can make a blend of salt and ashes from an ash tree to create a circle around you. This is a very powerful combination. Bungleweed burnt is said to encourage quiet spirit contact with the other world, and holding mistletoe is said to aid communication. Also, mullein is heavily linked to necromancy, as the stalks and leaves were dipped in beeswax or tallow, and then lit to illuminate graveyard rituals. Dittany of Crete also brings forth the dead. You could make your own necromancy oil blend. You'd grind myrrh and add olive oil and cinnamon oil, as well as rosemary and wormwood. Remember, wormwood is toxic and can be dangerous, so handle that with caution. You also want to add into the blend graveyard dirt. You let this infuse, and away you go. You could anoint candles or skulls if you've listened to the bone magic episode. The tree species Elder are heavily connected to death, 
and the shadows they cast are especially potent. Charge your necromatic tools within the shade and elder casts to charge them for rituals. Cypress wood is particularly useful within necromancy. You could use this in the form of a wand. Cypress was used to commune with the death deities at a crossroads and within necromatic rites. One belief around contacting the dead involves having a goal in mind and walking around the cemetery three times whilst focusing on the goal. On the third lap, it's said the dead will appear to you. Now, in Homer's epic, we actually have a comprehensive necromatic ritual that can easily be replicated. Why are we looking at a story to replicate a ritual? Is it legit? Well, in late antiquity, Homeric poetry actually became considered as holy, and lines were actually inserted into ritual workings and magical practices, so it's thought that the rituals and workings mentioned within them actually contain a certain element of power. The only issue is that this spell will only work if you're at the borderlands of the underworld. So I've twisted this interpretation, and I see this to mean the mouth of a cave, in a graveyard, perhaps on Samhain. Interpret the borderlands of the underworld as you will. Now the borderlands within this story is called Persephone's Grove, and it's a place overgrown with poplars and willows and two rivers joined to form the river Styx, which separated the underworld from the world of the living. Perhaps you can incorporate these elements within your ritual in some form. Next, you want to dig a trench that is the size, quote, of a man's forearm. You'd then need to walk around the trench and offer into it different liquids. So on the first lap, you offer a mix of milk and honey. On the second, a sweet wine. And on the third, it's water. Then you'd sprinkle barley over the trench. Next, you want to state what you'll give to the spirits. So Odysseus promises to give a pyre, offerings and sacrifices. And not only here at the borderlands, but when he's back in his home. Offer the same or similar or whatever you can give. Now he sacrifices a ram and a black ewe. Black is important because black animals were considered chthonic or that of the underworld, and as a result they were seen as appropriate offerings. You could get blood from a butcher's or ask them to set it aside. Now as you pour blood into the trench, you need to look away. In the tale, the sacrificed animals get flayed and killed. Now, my take on this would be to burn some meat from what animal's blood you've given earlier, and I would also burn it on a fire made from privet and wormwood. Very powerful herbs in the Greek world for underground workings, and remember, wormwood when burnt is toxic, so be careful. Then he and his men pray to Hades and Persephone, while scaring away the spirits they don't want to talk to. There are Orphic hymns you can find online regarding Hades and Persephone, and I've actually mentioned them within a bath ritual. I couldn't find it within the podcast, but I have referenced these hymns within my episodes. And you want to speak to the spirit that's relevant to you. I've also included a link to this passage within the Odyssey on my Patreon. I also came across a little ritual that Queen Elizabeth's royal magician, John Dee, supposedly used in a graveyard at midnight. 
you'd begin by casting a circle for protection, and you'd call upon Raphael, Rael, Mitrion, Maraton, Tamriel, and Rex. You'd then want to command, the dead rise and come to me, and then while scattering graveyard dirt around, you would say, Ergo sum tepito et videre queo, which is Latin for I am able to see and ask you. You would then speak and ask the dead questions. Once you've finished, you'd say, return to the kingdom of the chosen. I also stumbled across a Babylonian tablet that's in the British Museum, that old bastion of theft and colonialism. The tablet is an unpublished spell around a necromatic rite, and well, you know I love you all and I love snooping around, and I actually managed to find a rough translation. You're going to need a skull and an oil blend. Now the spell calls for within this oil blend a mixture of animal parts, and the oil is left overnight. Now you want a male and female partridge, crush them both, dust from a crossroads, dust of a cricket, and a pot shirred from a crossroads and oil. You then leave this overnight. Bit gruesome, bit grim, you could use instead that oil blend that I gave earlier, and you want to anoint the skull with this. And then you need to address Samas. He's basically the god of the sun, and we're asking him, may he bring a ghost from the darkness for me, may he put life back into the dead man's limbs. Essentially, the spirit uses the skull as a vessel. You'd then want to say, I call upon you, O skull of skulls, may he who is within the skull answer me, O Samas who brings light in, who opens the darkness. You'd then ask your question, and I'd say meditate and go into a trance-like state. Pieces of the tablet are broken and it's difficult to read, however it also advises to burn sulphur and juniper berry. Caution with sulphur, some people are allergic and personally within myself it can trigger my asthma, so be careful with sulphur, I wouldn't play around with it to be honest. The tablet also warns that it can be dangerous to speak to the ghost in this way, so I would counter this by having offerings at hand, and I would take precautions and have protection, and I would thoroughly cleanse afterwards. There's also another tablet I found that requires many ingredients ground up and then smeared on the eyes in order to see the dead. However, there's so many nasty things in there like mouldy wood, a frog, intestines, I wouldn't be surprised if it made the users blind or give them a nasty eye infection at the very least. But it's an interesting concept and I'm wondering if you can safely incorporate ingredients and a concept around this that won't leave you blind. Emphasis on that, we don't want to lose our vision around this idea either. Generally, a good offering for the dead would be old coins. This is based on the idea that spirits needed to pay to get into or through the underworld, because capitalism doesn't even leave us when we die. I mentioned some death deities earlier that you could work with. Hecate and Anubis appear to be really prevalent within necromancy. Anubis, the Egyptian god of the dead, looks like he stepped into this necromatic role around 600 to 30 BCE and was often invoked to fetch spirits from the underworld. Now Hermes can also be invoked for a similar role, but these two, and maybe Hermes as well, they're quite good to include within rituals, so maybe you could look into that as well.
Note, stepping over mugwort while it burns stops spirits following you. If you are concerned about this, incorporate this with into your closing down of the ritual. Also, scrubbing your body with salt afterwards is recommended to cleanse yourself of the dead. You could also combine this with rosemary and olive oil, but again, this can cause allergies and like breakouts on the skin, so test and be careful with this. A popular incense blend used within necromatic rites was one part fennel root or the seeds, one part frankincense, four parts henbane. Wouldn't recommend messing around with henbane, it's incredibly toxic and can cause death if used incorrectly. One part coriander seeds and one part cinnamon. You would mix this and burn it deep in a dark forest. Light a black candle and place the incense holder on a tree stump. This powder that we've created should be burnt until the candle suddenly goes out. The spirits of the forest would then walk through the smoke and make their presence known. To dispel these spirits, a mixture of equal parts of asphytida and frankincense should be burned. Some necromancers invite the spirit into a medium. The spirit then speaks through the person, so this could also be thought about and possibly incorporated. Also, it's worth mentioning that ancient works portray the ghosts as speaking directly after workings. However, some theorize that, in actual fact, the practitioners went to sleep and the dead came to them within their dreams or they saw them upon waking. Either way, it sounds like to see the dead, they had to be in an altered state of consciousness. So bear that in mind and maybe incorporate that as well. You can buy bodily remains online, and generally speaking, it's legal. Just double check to make sure, and check out my episode on bones around this. You can easily add these components into a ritual, but I really wouldn't recommend breaking into a graveyard in order to obtain these body parts. It's disrespectful, and it's just too risky. Interestingly, alongside this, it's written into UK law that it's actually illegal to raise and to summon the dead. The topic of necromancy is huge, and hopefully what I've said here inspires you and gets you thinking about incorporating necromatic elements into your practice. This being said, I am probably going to revisit it and go deeper into some areas at a later date. Some key takeaways, however. Prior to the ritual, purification was seen as vital. Fasting for three days seems to be quite common. Nighttime is best for necromancy. Have a pit for libations and offerings. Generally speaking, this is for the spirits. And a fire for sacrifices and offerings. Generally, this is for underworld deities. But also bear in mind that sacrifices don't seem to be vital. Also, the pouring of libations in circular movements is preferred in some texts. There's then what you say in the form of spells, prayers, and incantations. Now, usually, the spirit itself is prayed to, as well as the underworld deities, to release the spirit from the underworld. Some spirits seem happy to be called back, others less so, and this is where the idea of threatening into compliance came about. Personally, I'd avoid this technique and this method. Would I want to be commanded by some living person into doing things for them or answering questions? Not really. Let's not anger ghosts and spirits, I don't think it's wise. And let's not be arrogant either. 
Today, necromancy has largely stepped away from the desecration of burial grounds and its desire to animate the dead. It's more about building a relationship and communicating with those who have passed over. A way to pierce the veil and glimpse what is possible after death. It just depends if you're brave enough to try. And Majors, that's it. That is a wrap for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. My intent with this podcast is to provide guidance and inspiration for those on their spiritual path and to talk about interesting parts of history relating to spirituality. I also want to connect you with information that is both useful and reliable. Would you like to support me? With your support, I can dedicate more time to the mage as well. You can financially support me through Patreon, where you'll gain access to more content and connect with the mage as well community. The link for this is in the episode description. If you're not keen on pledging money for whatever reason, but you still want to support, you can follow my Instagram, at the mage as well. You could tell your friends and family about the show. You could post about the podcast. And most importantly, you could leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This is really important. It really helps because it boosts the algorithm over on Apple Podcasts and it draws in new listeners and helps get the podcast out there. Please help me out. This is an independent podcast. It's just me researching, producing and editing. Anything you can do will help. If you own a business and would like to advertise on the show, please get in touch. The show's email is themajorswell at gmail.com. Special thanks to Coral St. Clair for the podcast artwork. Before I go, the poem this week is called In a Disused Graveyard by Robert Frost. The living come with grassy tread to read the gravestones on the hill. The graveyard draws the living still but never any more the dead. The verses in it say and say, the ones who living come today, to read the stones and go away, tomorrow dead will come to stay. So sure of death the marbles rhyme, yet can't help marking all the time, how no one dead will seem to come, what is it men are shrinking from? It would be easy to be clever, and tell the stones men hate to die, and have stopped dying now forever, I think they would believe the lie. Peace out, witches, and I'll see you at the crossroads.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.